Well, it's a privilege to uh, bring you God's word from Titus. So if you could have your Bibles open to Titus chapter 1, I'll be, we'll be looking at verses 5 onwards. As we, uh, as we listen to God speak to us in his word, let me just offer a brief uh, prayer. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word, your precious and holy word that you've preserved for us. Uh, please, may it do a work in each of us here tonight. May it teach, rebuke, correct and train us in righteousness so that we may all be equipped for every good work. We ask that you would keep distractions away from our minds and that our hearts and minds will be ready, attentive to what you may be saying in your word to us tonight. Please captivate us with the beauty of the gospel contained in your word. And may you do all this for your glory, honour and praise. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at Titus chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, uh, which really just sets up the whole letter of Titus. It, it was about how to be spiritually healthy in a godless culture, how to be godly in a godless culture. Uh, today we'll be looking at godly leadership in a godless culture. So let's listen to God speak in Titus chapter 1. I'll read from verse 5. It says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might, you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, last year, uh, a survey or two surveys were done about what profession people trusted the most. Uh, one was done in Britain and one was done right here in Australia. And I'll give you one guess as to which, which uh, position came in last place. It was, of course, politicians. 
Uh, you see, today we'll be looking at leadership and apparently we have some concerns, whether it's leadership in the government or leadership here in the church. Uh, sadly, uh, some of us may have been burned by our leaders, becoming casualties in their wake. And it hurts so much because we put our trust in them to do the right thing and they let us down. They take advantage of us. And so it's perfectly understandable why you might be sceptical about your leaders. Uh, where are we supposed to get good leaders from? Well, here in Titus, we're actually given God's standard for his leaders. What they should be, what they should do, and why they should do it. It's all right here in chapter 1. Uh, this isn't just for leaders in the church, though. It's also for those who desire to be leaders one day. It's also for those who will one day appoint leaders, whether it's in the church or somewhere else. This passage is also for those of us who are raising children who may one day become leaders and what we should be focusing on as we raise our children. And it's also for those of us who are under leadership, who, how we can keep them accountable but also help them to grow and where to direct them. So Titus 1 has something for us all. So this is no time to switch off or start scrolling on your phones. And so if you're fed up with lousy leadership, uh, listen in to what God says about good, godly leadership and the type of person they should be. Uh, we'll learn three things tonight from Titus chapter 1. So God's leaders are to possess godly character, preserve the truth and promote the faith. Possess godly character, preserve the truth and promote the faith. So point one, God's leaders are to possess godly character. This is crucial for his leaders uh, and it impacts us all for good or ill. Therefore, having godly character is invaluable for God's leaders. See, the situation in Titus is that Paul has left Titus on the island of Crete and he tells us why in verse 5. It's to appoint leaders and elders in every town. Look with me, it says this. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. You see, so one of the aims of leaders is to bring order which begins internally. It begins with godly character. But it doesn't stop there. Well, Paul goes on to say that godly leaders are to be good family men. Well, what does that mean? It means to be a one-woman man and to raise children who are not opposed to the faith. And we see that there in verse 6. It says, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Well, those are big words, but basically it's getting at the heart of what godly leaders are supposed to do in their homes. This is important to God. This is why it's said there. Now, uh, we could spend a lot of time debating on, on whether or not uh, having unbelieving kids should disqualify men from leadership. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to point you to your pastors because I'm a student here. The pastors, they're sitting up the back, you'll find them. You can ask them what they think of such a passage. 
But the point is this, a God cares how you behave in your family. That's important. And what's also important is the list in verse 7 and 8. And it's an impressive list, if I say so myself. Uh, look at it there. It says that God's leaders or overseers, they're to be God's stewards. That is, they are to manage God's household, God's things, God's people. So God is in charge and they are under his authority, which is why we go to the word when we do things in leadership. And so they're accountable, they're accountable to God. Now, this is the starting point. God's leaders who possess godly character, uh, they start by being grateful, by having that servant attitude of Paul. Just look at verse 1. It's, this, it's the third word there. And God's leaders are supposed to be grateful. They're supposed to desire to serve by relying on God and his grace, which begins by a heart that's captivated by the gospel. And let's go on. Let's look at this list in verse 7 and 8. The overarching quality there is being above reproach, which is to live publicly and privately for God, not in secret, unrepentant sin. And I found it helpful when I looked at this list to compare and contrast what it says with its opposite. So if you look at verse 7, rather than being arrogant, God's leaders are to be humble. Rather than quick-tempered, they're to be patient. Rather than drunk, they're supposed to be free from addictive substances, particularly ones that impair their judgment. So rather than being violent, they're supposed to be gentle. Rather than greedy, they're supposed to be generous. And then in verse 8, they're supposed to be hospitable, not closed off. They're supposed to love good things, not evil things. They're to be self-controlled, not out of control, upright, not biased. They're to be holy, not worldly, disciplined, not impulsive. Uh, do you feel overwhelmed? Oh, I certainly do. Uh, this is God's high bar, high standard for his leaders. But it's not supposed to overwhelm us. It's actually supposed to show us how much God cares because he could have left this out. He could have just said, appoint leaders and that'll be all right. But no, he goes into fine detail in about how we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to have, and that is godly character. But it's also supposed to point us to the perfect leader, Jesus, and how he is the leader of this church. He is the servant king. And so that should motivate us to strive and to follow his example, relying on God's grace, empowered by the Spirit. And you see, Jesus is just like his father. So remember in Ezekiel 34, God promised to be the shepherd leader of his people, to look after them, to care for them and not abuse them. And Jesus does the same. He does this and he says so in John 10, where he says, I am the good shepherd. And so God says here that we are to be godly leaders by possessing godly character and God models what he desires and he empowers his leaders by his grace to do so. True or false, the church suffers with leaders that are ungodly. Oh, that's certainly true, I, I, I think. And so if that's the case, uh, why not pray for your leaders, pray for your elders, that they would grow in godly character. 
And what about us as a church? Uh, what do you value in your leaders? Uh, do you value charisma over character? Would you be happy with someone who's a good preacher but not a, not a people person? They don't possess that quality. Or how about you? This will be personal. How about you? Can I point to you as someone who by God's grace is growing in godly character? Can I say, look, follow them as they follow Christ in terms of godliness? If not, why not? And Titus tells us what godly leaders are supposed to do and what they're supposed to possess. They're supposed to possess godly character, but they're also to preserve the truth. And this leads us to point two. God's leaders preserve the truth, and this is essential. They're to hold on to the truth that has been passed down, not make up their own. Lies and cover-ups are damaging. I'm, I'm sure I don't need to tell you, just look at history, look at the politics. It's damaging for everyone involved. So it's no surprise that God's leaders are supposed to preserve the truth rather than hide it. And they do this by doing two things. They teach and they rebuke. And we see this there in verse 9. Look with me, it says this. Uh, speaking of God's leaders, it says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, as they, as, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. You see, first off, God's leaders are to preserve the truth by teaching. Uh, this is the positive aspect of it. They're to teach the trustworthy word, which is, of course, God's word. So your leaders are to be good students of God's word and able to teach. Now, we live in a time where people are teaching a lot of people a lot of different things. They're spreading lies and deceiving you and me and everyone else all over the internet. Now, Duan talked about this last week in social, about social media. So we need to be discerning. And so this raises the bar for leaders yet again. We need to be promoting and preserving the, the truth by teaching what is right and good, especially with regards to God's word. And this was the same situation that Titus actually was facing on Crete. A peach, excuse me, uh, people were teaching what they shouldn't. And what happened? Families were turned upside down. They were upset. It's there in verse 10. The word literally is ruined. Look with me at verses 10 and 11. It says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. You see, this points to the second way God's leaders are to preserve the truth. They are to rebuke and silence those who contradict it. I'm not a medical professional, uh, but there is a disease I'm sure you're aware of called gangrene, where a part of the body is rotting, and if you don't cut it off, it can be fatal. And so that's the kind of imagery we're getting a sense here in this passage, that God's leaders are to rebuke, they are to cut off those who contradict the truth, because it'll damage God's people. 
And we are to do so with love and respect, of course, but we're to do so nonetheless. And this is one of the, one of the ways that we preserve God's trustworthy word. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but people don't actually like being rebuked these days. It's shocking for me. Yes, I know. They don't even want to be corrected. They'd rather just be left. I know, it's very odd for me too. So yet again, this, this is a tough call on God's leaders. They have their work cut out for them, don't they? They're going to be quite unpopular. But God isn't asking God, his leaders to do something he hasn't already done himself. I mean, you look all the way through scripture, God calls sin, sin. You see, Jesus say things like, repent or you too will perish. And you have the Holy Spirit convicting the world of sin in John 14. You see, God is doing what he is commanding his leaders to do. And so leaders, God's leaders are to be hands-on, not hands-off when it comes to preserving the truth. Because if they leave it to one side, you know, it communicates that it's not that important. The truth is not that it's not worth fighting for. It's not worth defending. It's not worth rebuking and making people feel slightly uncomfortable. And so one of the ways that we can help our leaders who are over us is to allow them to rebuke us when we go astray. Yes, it'll be painful. Yes, we'll kick and scream. I certainly do. But it'll ultimately be for our good. It'll strengthen us in the truth, in the faith. We need to welcome the hard word and allow our leaders uh, to do verse 9 so that we'll make it easy for them to obey verse 9. Look at it again with me. It says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. You see, if you're a leader here, or you want to be one day, or you're raising kids who you want to become good leaders one day, then you, you want to be listening to what God is saying in verse 9. We need to be ready to teach and rebuke. So how are you going at teaching? Are you using the gifts that God has given you to teach his people his truth? I'm sure you know there are many ways you can do this. You don't have to preach. You can lead a Bible study. You can um, teach in Sunday school. You can also teach your kids at home, which is a fantastic thing to do. About God's truth, I mean. Why don't you have a chat with one of the pastors if you feel like you could serve God and his people in this way? Uh, but here's the harder application for those of us who are leaders or aspiring to be God's leaders. How are you going at rebuking people? It's very uncomfortable telling someone they're wrong these days and watching them get all red and flustered. But we're called to do so because it preserves the truth, his truth. We need to not just keep the peace. We need to tell the truth in love to his people. No doubt it'll be difficult, but it'll be more devastating in the long run. And uh, what about those of us who are under leadership, which is cough, cough, all of us? Uh, how are you going at being rebuked 
Uh, do you welcome it? Do you listen when you go astray? Or would you rather your leaders just, you know, mind their own business? And so we see here, God's leaders are to possess godly character, they're to preserve the truth, but they're also to promote the faith, which leads us to our third point. God's leaders are to promote the faith. Now the goal is to strengthen the faith of believers so that they will have sound faith, literally healthy faith. And we see it there in verses 13 and 14. It says this, This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. You see, the purpose of preserving the truth that we just saw, the teaching and the rebuking, is so that we, God's people, would be healthy in the faith, that we would have sound faith. That's what God's leaders are to be aiming for. And then Paul says this very confusing statement in verses 15 and 16. I'll read it again. It says this, To the pure, all things are pure, and to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Well, what's going on here? What's, what's Paul saying? Well, Paul is summarising what he's been saying thus far in the letter. You see, apparently people are getting upset about what others are saying about how to be pure, how to be Christian before God, how you can be clean before God. You see, look in verse 10. It says that people are elevating the importance of circumcision. And in verse 11, people are teaching things for financial gain. They're literally seeing people as little dollar signs. And in verse 14, some are getting preoccupied with Jewish myths and listening to people who have already turned away from the truth rather than growing in the faith. And so in short, people are trying to convince uh, others in the church that they need to do these certain religious things in order to be clean, to be pure, to be Christian. They're actually hindering the faith of God's people. And you can see why Paul says you've got to silence them and you've got to rebuke them. The goal is to ensure that God's people have a healthy faith. But in verses 15 and 16, Paul is actually saying, if, if you've already, uh, sorry, you've already been made pure if you believe in Jesus and uh, have faith in him alone. So what you do or don't do doesn't make you any more or less pure because to you, good Christian, all things are pure. Uh, it's just like that magnificent vision that Peter sees of the, the meat banquet descending from heaven. It's like a giant buffet of all the meats you can think of. And Jesus reassures Peter and says, take and eat. Oh, what a beautiful vision. I'm going to get in trouble if this is online. Um, please don't. Anyway, so... That, that illustration is to show that all things are edible. It doesn't matter what you eat or what you don't eat. That's not what defiles you. You're pure because Jesus' blood has made you pure. You've been made right before God and that's what counts. So we don't need to fear. We can enjoy God's good creation with thanksgiving without fear of defilement. 
And so this is what God's leaders are to make clear. They're to make clear how we are to grow in faith, how we are to have a healthy faith, a faith that is set on Christ and what he has done and not on what we do. God's leaders need to make it clear that we are saved by grace offered in the person and work of Jesus. Do you see how this is totally different from the leaders that we're used to? Who step over others, who step on people, who abuse their position to get things. No, it's totally the other way around. God is the leader who blesses his people, who gives them faith. So he's doing what he commands his leaders to do. He gives us faith so we can grow in our faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember that at one point or another, we were all like those people described in verse 12. We were liars. We were evil. We were lazy. But God still loved us. He still sent his son to die for us, to make us pure before him now and forever. You see, God cares. And he continues to care for you and me by sending men like Paul and Titus to build his church, sending men like Gerald and Jordan and Joel and Sien and all the other leaders that you have here who care about your faith. And so we're to be thankful that God has given such people to lead us. So be encouraged and continue to pray for them that they will promote the faith here at Donvale and abroad. And so we've seen a God standard for his leaders. They are to possess godly character, preserve the truth and promote the faith. There really is no joy quite like being a steward to such a loving, gracious and generous God who welcomes sinners into his home, makes them clean and able to live with him forever. Uh, what about you? Uh, would you consider serving God as a Titus 1 leader? Uh, if you do uh, consider that a possibility, do chat with uh, Gerald or Jordan or one of the pastors and they may be able to, to help you out. Or do you know someone who God is equipping to be a leader? Maybe you could tap them on the shoulder and encourage them to think about leading God's people. Now, wouldn't it be great if we had too many godly leaders? Now, there will come a time uh, when we won't need any more, but we'll just have God and we'll be with him in heaven where there's no more sin, no more lies, no more defilement. All believers can look forward to that day when we'll be with our good shepherd, our servant king, our good teacher, the Lord Jesus himself. So let's ask God to help us apply this word until we get there. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for fulfilling your promise in Ezekiel 34 to be our shepherd through your son, Jesus. I thank you for the good shepherd, Jesus, who is a godly leader, who nourishes and protects his sheep. Please grant us wisdom as we seek to live in response to your word. If there is sin in our hearts, please help us repent and turn to you afresh today. If we are reluctant to obey, please motivate us with the precious gospel. If we are willing to obey but tired, please strengthen us. If we are unwilling to obey or repent, please rebuke us from going astray. Draw near to us so that we may turn and be saved. We humbly ask that you would raise up godly leaders for yourself who will preserve the gospel and promote the faith of your people. 
We ask all these things, no, asking that your will would be done and not ours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.